Hello, people. You're listening to the Extra Spicy Podcast. I am Justin Phillips. And I'm Solejo. This is the final episode of 2020, the best year of all the years that have ever existed in human history. Yeah, I mean, this will go down in the books as the happiest any of us have ever been. This was all good stuff. It was a a wonderful (laughs) 365 days. I can't think of anything that really went wrong. I know. It's been the best. You know, um, jokes aside, 2020 sucked. But (laughs) for this episode, we're taking this opportunity to talk about... All the weird nonsense and like weird in the sense of just like, what is reality? Why is this happening? Um, How is this okay in this universe that I did not choose to be born into? So (laughs) yes, (laughs) we're really excited to spend this entire episode just talking about the worst of the worst, the strangest of the strangest in the culinary world. Before we get to this week's episode, we'd love to hear from you, the listener. If you've been enjoying what Soleil and I have been doing, what we've been making, what you've been hearing, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Of course, we love positive reviews. You know, that would be great, but we'll take them all. You can write in any comments or suggestions on what you'd like to hear in season two or whatever else you want, whatever. If you notice extra good, like really, really, really good, we'll share it in a segment during season two. Probably. We will. We will. First off. We're going to talk about the Kentucky Fried Chicken movie that was announced shortly before we recorded this show. Apparently, Mario Lopez is starring as Colonel Sanders. This is like really, (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of questions. Um, So many. Justin, I know that you have a few of your own. So So many. Let her rip. Yeah, so many questions. I'm just, I mean, what exactly is a mini movie? Is it a long commercial? Is it like a... Is it a TV show? Also, you know, they waited <laughs> they waited till the end of the commercial to have Mario Lopez speak. So I was like, man, is he going to have like a weird southern plantation owner accent? Like oh. I would imagine Colonel Sanders says. And he, and he doesn't. And then the other thing is like, you know, so Colonel Sanders is kind of hot now, right? Is that... Is that going to be a thing? How did Mario Lopez get roped into this? How much are they getting paid? I just, I, I have so many questions. So, like, you and I streamed playing a, uh, we played a game, um, like a KFC game. Actually, you can explain it better. Our relationship with KFC is, like, strange, almost uh, intriguing marketing goes back a while. Right, yeah. We played their visual novel, which is like a dating game where you try to date Colonel Sanders. And it was stupid and awful. And... I'm kind of resentful for whoever is doing the advertising for KFC because it's it's a lot like those, um, gosh, those cooking videos that you see on social media that are just like the most atrocious foods. And the point is the atrociousness so that you talk about it and it goes viral. And so the very fact of us like noticing this and like everybody sending it to me and all this stuff, like it's working and I'm mad about it. (laughs) I mean... But the but the mini movie thing just seems like it. It's almost, and I hate to say this. Look, if there if there are a bunch of Mario Lopez fans out there, and why wouldn't you be? Like Mario Mario Lopez seems. <laughs> Who wait? Huh? Are there? I, I'm gonna assume so. This man's been getting steady work for the longest since Saved by the Bell, right? Like he's been. Oh, I mean, ga- I guess gainfully employed. So there has to there's some market out there where people are like, yeah, we really like Mario Lopez, and if you do, like that, that's all good. <laughs> But you got to wonder, like, 
I just I just don't understand the plot. Like, is the is the romance between is it him and the young woman in this story? Are they like a love interest? Is Colonel Sanders old? Is he supposed to be old, but he just looks young? Like that's that would be strange. Like, ah. I have so many questions. Like it's Benjamin Button or something? Exactly. The thing I'm really mad about with this movie and with this whole like thing that KFC is doing is that they know what camp is as like an aesthetic, as a thing, as a really interesting way of framing culture. And I hate that it's a corporate food business that is using camp against Mm. us. You yeah, know what I yeah. mean? Like, it's not even good chicken. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's you're, not. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is the thing. Th- this shows you, I think KFC became unstoppable in marketing once they stopped being able to be embarrassed. Like, there is nothing that's going mm. to make the brand be like, hey, guys, that was stupid. Shouldn't have tried that. Like, they're going to do whatever they want. And I think it's that confidence, that just utter lack of awareness, or maybe it's hyper-awareness. I have no idea. None of it makes me want to get KFC over Popeyes, though. I don't care. I don't care how many shirtless Mario Lopez scenes you put in there. I'm, uh, I, I, I don't care. I am intrigued, though. I just don't understand. I just, I, I guess the main thing is I just don't understand how you come up with a plot for a mini movie. And what the hell is a mini movie? What is this? So next on our nonsense, because I think we have really milked this chicken for all it's worth, is something a little bit more serious and something a little bit more frustrating and sad, um, but still nonsense, like still a lot of drama that is worth talking about. Right. And that is Bon Appetit has stepped in it again. I'm so sorry if you're sick of hearing about Bon Appetit on this podcast, but it's so interesting to watch them at this pivot point um, where, you know, they have the, the food magazine has new leadership and new vision. They're trying really hard to be more inclusive and progressive as a thought leader in the food media. And they just keep, you know, they, they have really good content, but they visibly step in it again and again. And it's really wild to see. I mean, I'll, I'll let you talk about it, but I'm just I'm curious about how this how how does this still happen? I don't I don't understand. An advisor hired by Bon Appetit was Marcus Samuelson, a chef based in the Bronx, New York, and he ran this recipe um, for this Haitian independent soup, and it was his take on it, and. As soon as they published it, it got completely hammered by Haitians who saw it as a one like really unfaithful rendition, but also just none of the people involved in making the recipe were Haitian and had a background in Haiti. And so they just saw it as like an example of culinary bastardization and just really, again, the kind of diversity on paper that that really weighed Bon Appetit down in the past, right? Where they brought in various sorts of people to represent um, very, very broad categories of humanity in a way that really messed up visibly multiple times. So again, this is like more of the same and it was really, really frustrating for a lot of people, right? The recipe for the soup has 1.1 stars on the Bon Appetit (laughs) website. Yeah, It's rough out there. And it's still, so the idea, uh, 
because I know the the authentic, quote unquote authentic, but what Haitians have been like, um, you know, really going at Bon Appetit over is that the original soup has what is it like beef, plantain, um, potatoes, and like the Bon Appetit version is, I think like coconut milk. There's like coconut milk and candied nuts and what else? I want to say. It's pumpkin. It's a pumpkin and, and soup. And there's cinnamon sticks that he uses in there, too, or something like that. It's a pumpkin soup, yeah. I feel like the one star says a lot, but if they could have given, if people could have given negative stars or something like that, they would have. Like, just one's just the lowest you can go. The comments are just, there's hundreds and hundreds of comments from Haitians on this. And, you know, I'll let you all read them. But the one line that stuck out to me is just someone writing from Pittsburgh, Dominique, who said, you are messing with our collective souls, followed by a bunch of really mad emojis. (laughs) So, I mean, that's that's the gist of it, right? Like, that's the crux, is just people feel feel like they're being stepped on and it doesn't feel like a really genuine take in a sense of like someone has a stake in it and is trying to tell a story through the recipe. You know what I mean? Like, this just feels like someone just is... Mm, retrofitting right. the label on a recipe that they just wanted that's to really make. Good. That's a great way to put it. I mean, look, it's one thing to want to tell like black stories for food sites to want to tell black stories, and that's totally fine. But um, I think the biggest thing was just how like I won't say it's like heavy-handed, but there was like a lack of care that went into the overall uh, presentation of this, like from how it was sourced, uh, credited, you know. And they could have probably talked to, hey, I don't know what happened, but clearly there were gaps. And I think it's just, you know, so like you've talked about representation in these spaces. And this is one of those moments where, uh, you know, they try to increase representation in some capacity, but they just don't do it with the care that's needed. So it's like an advancement of a conversation we've already been having. Like there needs to be progress. Yes. But look, don't just be don't do don't be half-assed about it. Like, pay attention. Look look at what you're doing. All right. So before we get to, um, I don't even know how to broach this subject. So, like, you got some crockpot news, crockpot drama. It's drama like what we just talked about, but more specific. I I, I don't know. I don't know. But it's fun. You can also make soups in a crockpot, so it is related. It's a very good segue. But before we get there, we're going to take a quick break. And by the way, you can support this podcast and the newsroom that creates it by subscribing to the San Francisco Chronicle at sfchronicle.com slash pod. I'm Soleho, and we're back with more nonsense. Yes, yes. Very, very specific nonsense. Very specific uh, kitchen equipment nonsense. Very specific crockpot nonsense. I feel like I can't. I feel, maybe I'm hyping <laughs> this up too much, but Soleil, the floor is yours. I would love to hear this uh, this CP drama that you got going. So one of my secret desires in this world, which I will tell all of you, is that I want to start. I've been wanting to start a podcast about hobby drama, which I think is the funniest stuff <laughs> in the right, universe. Right. You know, it's like where people like worm scientists are arguing about the validity of like certain worms or um Gosh, ginger ale people are like fighting each other online over, you know, ginger ale reviews. Like that stuff is amazing to me. I love it. Didn't we talk one time about like uh, 
like there was like was there mushroom drama or it was like foragers or there was some oh my god this is like on one of our podcasts too that feels like so long ago <laughs> but we have talked about like uh you know online forum niche hobby drama for sure right no it's the best it's so funny um and here's an example of crockpot drama there's a facebook group called crockpot heaven where it came out on twitter and other social media that one of the administrators had to write a really stern and mean message to the group because they were all being like super rude to each other which <laughs> i thought was so funny i mean the group is like three hundred thousand users so i mean of course there's going to be a little bit of tension sometimes yeah. i guess um on this recipe sharing group it's notable for the fact that like there are people like old hands in the group who are apparently being really demeaning to newbies who they and they call each other croc stars also which i think is super oh, cute man. um you know they they make fun of people for asking basic questions they call other people's food ugly which i think is super funny because I think all crock pot food is inherently ugly, right? Because you're cooking it for 12 hours and it's just becoming like meat mush, but it's <laughs> right, fine. It tastes right. good. That's not the point. Like you don't want to, you're not making like Michelin starred food in a crock pot and that's fine. But it's just so funny to make fun of people for that. It doesn't make any I mean, sense. It's, yeah. Look, this is, and I'm sure we've got some like avid crock pot users, you know, out there who might even be a part of this group. I don't think it's fair to like bully people on a site for making ugly crockpot food because I, I don't think I mean, there's beauty in everything. Sure. But crockpot food is ugly. It's it's never just going to be some stuff that you're like, man, I'm going to post this on the gram. It's going to just go crazy. Like it's it all kind of looks the same. Don't don't bully people over that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 so strange to me how negativity will pop up in any context, like truly any, even the ones where people are just sharing recipes. And when I used to use Facebook, I was in a few recipe groups and I saw it happen too. So I'm not surprised, but at the same time, um, it's, <laughs> it's just like so ridiculous to me that it required like a heavy level of stepping in and intervention because the negativity had gotten so bad in the group. I was in a Vietnamese instant pot group which i think should betray my interests right there <laughs> but and there were some other non-instant pot recipes but i remember a few people posting some kind of french inspired ones and saying like thank god we were colonized by the french and just like what <laughs> like i'm like shaking my head violently right now because remembering that was so awful oh, man. so Negativity and or weird vibes, bad vibes can enter in any space, right. even one that is ostensibly just for sharing recipes. Like people, humans are super weird and awful. Um, and I appreciated this drama reminding me of it's that. Just, it's weird to me how like in these groups, there's like this inherent need for people to create a hierarchy of like, even if you're all just sharing similar recipes, there is going to be someone in that group who's like, maybe bullies other people more or is seen as cooler than the rest of them. Like, why can't y'all just exist in these spaces without naturally doing this? You know, it's like the playground when you're a kid in elementary school or something. I don't know. It's just, it's so strange to me. Right. It's so low stakes, first of all. But also, yeah, if your life revolves around being the cool person in the crockpot Facebook group, 
You got to have something else going on. Like you got to get a hobby. One more thing. Just get one more thing. One extra thing. So this isn't that important. You know? Right. People are just trying to cook. Just let them cook. Speaking of cooking. Speaking of really great cooking. um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's like it might be time, Soleil, for us to talk about. I don't even know if it's like it's not even really the elephant in the room. It's what everyone around the country at this point in early December is talking about. And it's, uh, you know, French laundry drama, politicians oh my God. having meals and uh, who's there and who's, well, not so much who's eating what, but who's there and when. I I don't even know where to begin with this, but I think we can, like, so like you do, you wrote a really great, I'm just going to let you go. Knee-jerk response to this, uh, to the French laundry drama, like Gavin Newsom, London Breed, um, having meals at these places while simultaneously telling the rest of this, you know, the state and San Francisco to uh, to shelter in place and don't eat in the types of spaces that they were eating in. Right. So we, I think we need a quick recap of what happened. Um, so... On-site dining has been on and off in the Bay Area and in California at large, and it's currently off. But kind of in the midst of people in power telling us to not gather with people outside of our households, really, or, you know, be really careful about dining indoors versus outdoors and all this stuff. Of course, the worst news for their public relations faces came out. Governor Gavin Newsom and London Breed, the mayor of San Francisco, on separate occasions, but day after, I think one day after the other, were seen dining at the French Laundry with really big groups of people who they certainly did not live with. Um, It really, for me personally, it's not a crime. It shouldn't be a crime to eat at the French Laundry. Uh, You know, that doesn't doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But certainly, I think holding people in office who have the power to tell us what to do and who apparently have access to all the, you know, all the really big health info and all the guidance and the ones who we should be looking to for guidance. I think they should be held to a higher standard. I think that seeing them go to these dinners with lobbyists and socialites and rich people um, and mixing households is just like really demoralizing. Yeah. Um, Especially because because there's no funding for restaurants, because there's no stimulus check for us beyond that $1,200 that we've all certainly spent already, to see this happening is just really a bummer because the emphasis on personal responsibility has been such a big part of public policy, which I think is awful and just irresponsible because, of course, uh, we can't trust anybody. But if you're going to advocate for that, you better be a paragon of personal responsibility. That's such a great point. And I think part of what made this such a trending story is the extremes of it. Like people have always thought that California politicians are the elite of the elite. They're very arrogant. They think they're smarter than the rest of the country, blah, blah, blah. So you take that and you pair that with them going at a time where it would look bad if they went to a restaurant, going to a restaurant and the restaurant being the French Laundry, which to people that aren't from here is kind of a caricature of indulgent fine dining to them. It's just two extreme aspects of the uh, of California, of Northern California, that kind of merge together and just make it a uh, a very trendy story. Now, look, I'm not, I, I've been 
to uh, to the French Laundry with Soleil. Soleil was kind enough to take me. And um, I ain't gonna lie to you. That place is pretty damn great. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, I, I, I feel like over time, I've gone to enough fine dining restaurants as a food writer and figured out, like, what's what. My experience at the French Laundry was pretty, pretty freaking high up there. So low key, kind of, please people don't cancel me over this. I could see if you were going to be a politician and you were going to sneak out to have dinner at some place and you were going to risk, if you were going to risk it all for a meal, I can understand risking it all at the French Laundry. I get it. Hmm. Really? I mean, I kind of get it. Now, look, would the same conversation have happened if London Breed was in Richmond at JJ's Fish House eating you know, like barbecue behind a chain leak fence next to a, no, next to a uh, a furniture shop. Probably not. Probably nobody would have noticed. Or if they did, I doubt anyone would have said anything. Or if it was like Gavin Newsom in San Leandro going to a, I don't know. So, like Candeja, the Liberian there you restaurant. Go. If he had been there, like would it have been the same reaction? Like I think it's the extremes of California politicians and the French Laundry that make it such a clickable story because there's like an exclusivity to it all. But I'm not going to lie. Like if they're going to risk it all, right, if they're going to, if they felt like they had all the safety parameters in place, but they knew a meal somewhere was going to be a bad look, if they were going to risk it all. Like I kind of understand them risking it all there. Just kind of under- kind of wow. understand it. Look like, at I you. Somebody bring out the guillotine. I mean, hey, look, I went to, I've only, uh, the dinner that I had there is is one of the best dinners that I've had ever, period, ever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, no, that's pretty I mean, good. You um, know, and then the other part. So I, I thought this this might be extreme. I thought about writing about this in that uh, in that in the, in the column that I do uh, about like black culture. I thought about writing something um, that looked at the like the spectacle of London Breed going to this space. Cause like I was going through like comments online of people reacting to Gavin Newsom and people reacting to uh, London Breed. And there's thousands of comments like spread between like Facebook, Twitter, wherever there's different, you know, accounts that are posting these things, different journalists, they're all getting their own comments. And like, there's obviously like an anger directed at Gavin Newsom about, you know, going to this space and be like, Oh my God, I can't believe he's done that. And I think it kind of fits the criticism that Gavin Newsom also gets, but there was like a, there's an, there's like this subtle layer of like extra disappointment with London breed and how like, Oh, you see what she did. She truly represents, you know, all of these California officials, you know, these elite, arrogant, dismissive people who like flout the rules that they lay down for everyone else. And she became like, she was like more, more of an example then Gavin was like an individual kind of thing. I mean, this is just like me scrolling through like Twitter and, and random Facebook accounts and stuff. And I think part of it too is going back to the extremes. Like it's one thing for Gavin Newsom to go there, but the French Laundry and fine dining in the Bay Area in general isn't a space that you often associate with black people, let alone black women, whether it's like cooking in the kitchen or eating in the dining room. So then you have a black woman who goes to a place that a lot of white people out here probably haven't been able to go to. And there are plenty of white people in this country who like wish they could go to, but probably can't afford it. Like many of us can't. And then you have this black woman who's also a California politician going to this extremely like luxurious, but you know, 
exclusive space to have a meal while everybody else can't. It became, I can't, hate to keep using this word, but like an extreme example of like how people think politicians behave. And I kind of picked up on that. So it was, it was a, it's a, it's a, it's a weird thing overall. Right. Well, I think also it's, it's colored by all of the corruption stuff that's really become tangled up with breed, True. right? Like you can't really separate that from this current sensational thing just because, you know, it's just another straw for for a lot of people who've been keeping up with with all the City Hall corruption stuff yeah, and yeah, all yeah. the Willie Brown drama and like all of the that like very insular San Francisco political family yeah. stuff. Um, this just feels like more of the same for for many i think as someone who's like new to san francisco but even i've picked up on it like obviously just yeah you know it's 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 a hard thing to grapple yeah. with yeah also the thing that i find uh, that i struggle with too in this is like i'm terrified of like even eating legitimately outdoors you know like <laughs> i i i couldn't imagine uh i don't know man i don't know i i i wouldn't have been able to do it I just don't get it. I do get the idea of wanting that meal, though. I, I just have to <laughs> let me repeat that. <laughs> oh, so nice. Uh, well, if you want to read what I've written about it, I wrote this very incendiary uh, piece about this incident on sfchronicle.com. You can find it. Um, I took a note from Jamaica Kincaid, a phenomenal writer, um, basically stole her, stole her style. So read a small place also it's a phenomenal book anyway that was all the nonsense that we have for this year uh it was there was probably a lot more that we could have said but we don't want this podcast to be three hours long for your sake i mean yeah once we get into 2022 we can be like what is this nonsense and the subject will just be this year <laughs> Like, do you remember how wild that shit was? <laughs> oh, my God. 2022? Like, it'll take a year for us to get over it. I don't know it. how I'm going to feel in 2021, you know? Like, mm. I'm trying to see that vaccine get rolled out. I'm trying to see. It's it's just a lot. 2022, though. Yeah, I hope we all become zombies because of the vaccine. That would be sick. I mean, restaurants would definitely struggle if we're all eating brains, then. Human, human I brains. I mean, we'll all be hungry. It'll be mm -hmm. great. <laughs> <laughs> so that's truly all we have for today's episode. We hope you enjoyed it. And remember, people, to give us a rating on Apple Podcasts and write in any other comments or suggestions of what you'd like to hear in season two. Um, if your note is really good and, you know, you say nice things, we hope they're good comments, whatever. Do you, do you. We'll share it in a segment in the upcoming season. We are definitely accepting poems, too. I would love to read a poem that someone Ooh, has written to that would us be nice. on air. That would be very cool. But practical matters. We are looking forward to bringing you new episodes on January 25th. Until then, stay safe, be well. Happy holidays if you got them. And thanks for listening.